Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Taking Stock. The European Union can trace its origins uh, from the European coal and steel community. That was formed in 1951. So after 65 years, is the European Union ready to retire? We'll find out on Thursday when the U.K. goes to the polls to determine whether it will remain part of the European Union. We've got more details. And we're going to find out not only what it means for the U.K., Pim, but what it means for the future of Europe now, let's get to Charlie Pellet. He's in the Bloomberg Newsroom with a Bloomberg Business Flash. I thank you, Kathleen Hayes. Thank you, Pim. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, they are all advancing. 29 minutes to go ahead of the close on a Tuesday here. Stocks advancing, sentiment susceptible to swings before Britain's vote later this week on its European Union membership. Energy producers and tech companies leading the S&P 500 index toward back-to-back gains. Equities climbing after zigzagging most of the day bolstered by a third straight gain for oil and gas companies, the longest in two months, even as crude prices drop. West Texas Intermediate Crude now down 1%, falling 52 cents, 48.85 a barrel. Well, the U.K. Brexit vote is Thursday. Paul DeGroey is a professor at the London School of Economics. He's also a former member of the Belgian Parliament, and he spoke about the vote with Bloomberg Television. When I look at the politics, right, right, the political dimension of this and the longer term, then I'm saying, but wait a minute, uh, the United Kingdom has in the past um, all the time been uh, a nation that tries to block further integration attempts in, in Europe. Um, in fact, it has also been a force trying to deconstruct it. Fed Chair Janet Yellen offering a subtle change to her outlook from less than a week ago, saying she and her colleagues are on watch for whether, rather than when, the U.S. economy will show clear signs of improvement. Gold now down 23.50 the ounce, dropping 1.8%. The 10-year down 4.30 seconds at yield 1.70%. S&P 500 index up 9, a gain of 0.4%. Dow Industrials up 61, also a gain of 0.4%. And at 3.32 on Wall Street now, let's take a look at other news from around the world. Thank you, Charlie. From the Bloomberg Newsroom, I'm Jill Schneider. This news update is brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. The Clinton Foundation was among the organizations breached by suspected Russian hackers in a dragnet of the U.S. political apparatus ahead of the November election. That, according to three people familiar with the matter. Reckless and careless, those are the words presumptive Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton used today to describe Donald Trump's economic policies. Clinton warned a crowd in Columbus, Ohio, Trump's fiscal policies would spell disaster for America. Is this who you want to lead us in an emergency? Someone thin-skinned and quick to anger who'd likely be on Twitter attacking reporters or bringing the whole regulatory system down on his critics? A bipartisan group of lawmakers on Capitol Hill today announced a proposed compromise for a kind of no-fly, no-buy gun control rule that would bar people on the no-fly list from getting weapons. South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham supports the legislation. It sort of makes sense to me. Uh, I own an AR-15. 
if you're on this list, it doesn't bother me one bit that you can't buy one right away. Attorney General Loretta Lynch visited with relatives of victims in the Orlando massacre today, telling them, we stand with you. Lynch called it a shattering attack on our nation. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. From the Bloomberg Newsroom, I'm Jill Schneider. This is Bloomberg. Charlie? And we are brought to you by Sage Summit, the world's largest gathering of small and medium businesses featuring Sir Richard Branson, July 25th to the 28th in Chicago. Register with promo code BUSINESS at sagesummit.com for just $99. Recapping S&P up 8 to 2,091, a gain of four-tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Two days to the Brexit vote closely watched the markets around the world. The latest polls show that the gap has narrowed once again between those who may vote to stay in the EU and those who may vote to go. But it's not just a question for the citizens of the United Kingdom and their policymakers. It's a question for all of Europe because certainly one of the complaints that has been heard is that this is a European Union that's not doing what it was set up to do, and it's better for the United Kingdom to go. Joining us now is Irene Finnell-Honigman. She's adjunct professor of international affairs at Columbia University. Irene, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Delighted to be back. So you have been, you, you're originally from France. And you've that's correct. And you've a student and, an, and, an, and an, an, an economist and done so many things that have to do with Europe. How do you just sit back? You, Irene Finnegan-Hottam, and kind of aghast that this may be happening. Um, I'm very sad that it's happening, and hopefully it will not happen. But I am not that surprised, considering the extreme amount of political volatility, anti-EU and anti-Euro sentiment across factions in Europe, uh, and the fact that with the migration crisis, this has all now come to a head. Uh, so hopefully this can be resolved, but it is not, unfortunately, a surprise. Now, Irene, I just want to get your thoughts on what would happen regardless of which way U.K. voters decide on Thursday. Does something have to change in the way Europe runs itself? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, I think the first thing is that um, even if the U.K. stays in and the markets calm down and we're moving forward, the most important thing is that this not be accepted with complacency because there clearly will have to be some institutional changes. There will also have to be a great deal more transparency and accountability coming out of politicians from all sides of the debate as to what exactly is the relationship between Brussels and the other countries within the EU. We have also been so focused in the last three, four years on the Eurozone that we have often forgotten about what all of this means for the larger European Union. And I think this is going to have to be re-examined and very carefully looked at in terms also of an identity crisis because Europe right now is facing an existential crisis. An existential crisis, meaning we don't know who we are anymore, meaning we, don't, we thought we were going to a path that would make uh, Europe more democratic and more prosperous, but somehow we've gotten off track or... Can we? Who are we as Europeans? Can you really expect everybody to be European in the same way? That's exactly right. And, however, what is so interesting is that when you 
a look at the responses among those who are 25 and younger, in other words, who were literally born at the time of the Maastricht Treaty at the start of this, they still do think of themselves as European plus their national identity. But very sadly, because of the sovereign debt crisis, because of the amount of unemployment, the fact that so much funding has been cut for cross-border education, cross-border awareness, uh, there is even a sense of loss in a way, a sense of exactly a kind of loss of identity. And this is something that has to be brought back to the surface, and this really falls back uh, on the responsibility of politicians to start to explain beyond data-driven information what are these real issues, where do they come from, why this is important, and that has not been happening at all. Speak, if you can, about the military alliance that may or may not develop with the European Union <laughs> Army. Well, I, I think this is uh, what is often uh, not brought, I think, uh, out as much as it should is beyond the economic issues. When we talk about the relationship between the EU and the UK, we're looking at legal accord, uh, basically pacts, uh, integration on all levels of social policy, defense policy, security policy, environmental policy. And this certainly is an issue, particularly as the UK and France have come together much more closely in the last few years since Libya uh, on defense policy, uh, as this is also very much an issue of NATO. So I think all of these factors now are at play and could, in fact, have to be either thought out again or redefined or, at worst, renegotiated if Brexit came about. What do you put the odds now, Irene? You've watched the polls. Um, I think, as you mentioned, uh, right after the tragic death of the uh, young um, Labour member of Parliament, Joe Cox, it looked as if the Remain uh, group, the anti-Brexit, was doing much better. Uh, right now, from what I understand in the last few hours, it's again basically uh, almost entirely even between the uh, Leave and Remain factions. Hard to know. I think till the very last minute. And even if the U.K. does remain, uh, the vote will probably by, be by a very, very tiny margin. Thank you very much for joining us. Irene Fennell Honigman is adjunct professor of international affairs at Columbia University. She is also the author of A Cultural History of Finance. Speaking about Brexit and the vote this June the 23rd, this Thursday, by the populace of the United Kingdom will see whether they're going to remain part of the European Union. You're listening to Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio. Wondering what to do with your investments in the midst of uh, the Fed getting more uncertain about the economy and a big Brexit vote? Bob Dahl is joining us from Nuveen Asset Management. He still likes stocks, and he'll tell us why on Bloomberg Radio. 